0: Amen in the house of the Lord our subject matter this morning was a God oriented family and again there is no way possible that I can redo everything that was done this morning and continue on uh, tonight but our, our, our mindset was a God oriented family speaking of the value of our origin being God himself. That when God created male and female and created Adam, that rib was already inside of Adam that God would take from him to make the woman, the wife that Adam would have. And so that the God orientation of the family, he spoke to Adam as a unit. He spoke to them. He spoke to their name being Adam, speaking almost in a plurality because in the body of Adam was the rib of his wife already. And so this was a God-oriented family. And their dependence would be upon God. And might I say tonight that God desires God-oriented families. God-oriented families. We discussed this morning how whenever God would have and sent forth his son made of a woman around this season that we're celebrating right now, that he prescribed that that child would be born to a father, Joseph, and a mother, Mary and that God, it would be a God-oriented family because that child Jesus would have a earthly father, an earthly mother, but also a heavenly father, which puts the God-orientation that's in the family. We spoke about how there was some trouble in the first family with Cain and Abel, Cain particularly, but Abel being the heavenly, Cain being the earthly but Cain, having overtaken his brother Abel, taken him from the earth, but understanding that Adam and Eve would have another child, their third child, by the name of Seth, which means the appointed, the fixed, if you will, the substitute, or what I seem to favor, compensation. God was relating to Adam and Eve from Seth onward and every child that was born through the birth of a child. He is offering compensation. That is to alter the negativity, alter the bad, alter the mistake. And we followed then Seth's line all the way to Jesus Christ. How ultimately he was the son that was born of a woman that ultimately brought the compensation that the human family needed in life today to correct the ills and correct the wrongs of the human family through Christ Jesus. We had up here, man, I had a son this morning I never had today in my lifetime. I had a son, I had Brother Alex up here and we were talking about how glory is passed down from father to son to father to son to grandchildren even and those grandchildren then return that glory to their grandfathers and we illustrated how though a woman, also a mother has glory but that that glory is inherent inside of that mother because of the hair that God has given her on her head. He gave it to her for glory But that that great God of glory in Proverbs, the Bible says, he gives a woman or a wife to a man. And whenever he gives that wife to a man she has inherit glory and that glory is shared with her husband that husband then gives his glory to that son and that son gives it to his son and it turns back around and they give the glory back to the grandfather and it's like a cycle of glory if you will but it would not be there it would not be available or accessible to any generation to mother or father of those that followed after them, if it had not first some type of God orientation of it coming from the heavenlies. Meaning that we cannot brag or boast of success, if you will, of the glory, if you will, or the crown of glory of any family because we understand ultimately that it comes from God. If I may go to a scripture tonight that I didn't go to this morning, the Proverbs 23 And verse number 24, there was something that God was telling us concerning this passing of glory. He said, and he's speaking here, he's speaking here uh, concerning the children of some parents, how it was a wise child, a child that made some good decisions. He's contrasting that with some fools that have made some foolish choices and decisions. But when a child walks according to the laws and the prescription of his mother and father, that walks according. to the prescription of the God of glory he says in verse 24 that the father of righteous the father of the righteous shall greatly rejoice because of the child and he that begetteth a wise child shall have joy of him verse 25 says the father if I say earthly father and mother, earthly mother, shall be glad, and she that bare thee shall rejoice. The scripture is saying that whenever a child has this, if you will, obedience to the law and the commands of its mother and father who has passed down laws and commands that come from the very starting place of God's word and the heavenlies, that there is a earthly father then as a result that's well pleased by the child and there is a earthly mother that's well pleased by the child but here we are again with this god oriented family. In verse 24 it says, the father of the righteous shall also greatly rejoice. In other words, when there is a God-oriented family, not only does it bring pleasure to the earthly mother and the earthly father, but there is a heavenly father that is smiling down upon the institute of the family when it is God-oriented. Can someone say Amen. And so when we realize, as grandparents might I say, the crowning glory we experience in our lives is predicated upon the glory that we give to our children. Right. A, a grandpa can soar to the heights about the pleasures of his grandkids because they receive the assurance from their father, amen, and from their grandfather of the glory that's been handed down to them through their marriage from God. And so what we got to take into consideration tonight, and I'll probably preach and teach and preach, we don't need to think for a moment that what we do today concerning our kids will have no returning impact upon our own lives. We don't need to have no idea that, 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 that whatever we do concerning our kids during the years of childhood and adolescence will have no impact upon our lives beyond their childhood and beyond their years of adolescence because a God-oriented investment that you make in your children now will return back to you with interest whenever they have children and grandchildren through their offspring and through their children because it's a God-oriented family. Someone say amen. amen. It's important to note today, and I believe this is the case in maybe, I say maybe, any society And we see this even played out in Joshua 2 in the scripture of the Old Testament. That the natural bend of humanity for the most part. Whether they're saved or unsaved. It's getting less today maybe. Is to be protective of their family. I know we have all kinds of issues that are flourishing and blossoming up around America. That makes you scratch your head and wonder what is going on. But I would say that by and large in the beginning and as it's been even maybe 50 years ago that whether you were saved or unsaved you tried to be protective of your family. Tried to be protective of your family. The Bible says in Joshua 2 and I believe this illustrates this well that whenever the couple of spies went to spy out the city of Jericho that they came and they met a woman by the name of Rahab. Rahab had been very instrumental in protecting these two spies as they spied out Jericho. And there was just one request that she had of these two spies. She said, sirs, this is what I ask of you, that whenever you return to destroy the city of Jericho, I'm asking for some some safety and protection for me and for my family. When you come and you do your marching or whatever it is, the venue by which you do it and and the walls fall down and you wreak havoc among the city, I'm asking, she's someone that is not of the covenant of God. She is outside, if you will, of, of the household of faith. But she says, I want protection for me and my family. And here were the words of the spies, given her instruction. The spies basically told her that they could not be responsible for anyone that was beyond the limits of her home. We can't be responsible for anybody that's beyond the limits of your home. But if you, Rahab, will be responsible that your mom and your dad is in the house, Be responsible that your sons and your daughters and your aunts and uncles, whoever it is, that you want to be a part. If you'll take responsibility of their presence in the home, when we come, we'll make sure that they'll escape destruction. Someone say glory today. I'm living in a time that as a God-oriented family, I want protection for my home but I hear the clarion cry of heaven that's just the same as it was in that day. McGee, if they're outside of the home, if they're outside of the perimeter of the house, if you will, he says, I can't do anything about that, but if you'll take responsibility to make sure that Mariah and Trevor's in the house and make sure your wife is in the house, then whenever we come, I will bring the mayhem upon them because you've taken responsibility for them being in the home. Come on, say yes. yes. In other words, he's saying, Rahab, if you cannot ensure everyone is in order in the home, then we cannot guarantee protection outside of the home. But Rahab, if you can reign in your family in the home, if you can bear the burden of your family in the home, amen, the outcome will be if you can do that, hallelujah, you'll be responsible and you'll hold us responsible for what you brought into your house. The family rises and falls with success or failure because of its leaders, its fathers, its mothers. The Bible tells us in Joshua 7 concerning the story of Achan, the father of his household, that because of his leadership or lack thereof, when Jericho was taken, there were certain things that were denoted as being accursed. They were not to take them as spoils. They were to belong to God. Achan, being the leader of his home, took some of the accursed things and hid it in his tent. And the Bible says as a result of his actions, he subjected his whole family to being stoned because, everybody say, he, He. not them, chose to take the accursed things of Israel. The family rises and it falls on the leadership of the family, if it's gonna be a God-oriented family, if we go back to our crown and our glory, it's because a mother and a father passed something down. God ordained it. He gave it to the woman to share with the man to give to the children. He wasn't skipping over generations. He ordained it like that because he's putting some pressure, if you will, responsibility upon the leaders. Here's Achan, subjected his whole family to stoning because of something he had done. It's not the fathers; it's the mothers as well. I don't want to be one-sided. Have tomatoes start to be thrown? Mom's not without making her contribution as well. The Bible says in Esther chapter one and verse seventeen: "For this deed of the queen, speaking of Vashti, shall come abroad unto all women." so that they shall despise their husbands in their eyes when it shall be reported the king Ahasuerus commanded Bashtide the queen to be brought in before him but she came not likewise shall the ladies of Persia and Media say this day unto all the king's princes which have heard of the deed of the queen thus shall there arise too much contempt and wrath King Ahasuerus says, I'd like for my wife to come into the banqueting room of this banquet that we are having. He calls for her, beckons to her. But in the hour that the request was made, she denied. She denied the privilege of her presence being there with her husband. The Bible says she came not. That was a no-no. Uh because not only was it her king, it was her husband that requested her to come, but she did not. So the king kind of puts forth a little little, uh, survey to some of his leaders. He says, what should I do about this? Because she did not come. As word began to go around, there was one by the name of Menmuchan who answered the question of King Ahasuerus about the inaction of, of his queen, the inaction of this woman. He said, listen here, king, this is the reason why we need to take action. He said, because she did wrongly, yes, she did wrongly, because she did not comply with the request of you having her come into your presence. But the real crux of the matter is this, not even so much that she did not go, but that she's setting an example by her action." For the other ladies and women that's in the kingdom. And he says whenever she did that, that's breeding in the hearts of generations to come. That's breeding in the hearts of generations to come of wives and men, amen, to despise the request of their kings or their husbands. And so if we get too much of a response like that, we're, there's just too much recourse here. There's too much contempt. There's too much wrath that comes with these results. And so the Bible says in verse 22 that the king made a decree that every man shall bear rule in his own house. Because the crux of the problem of Vashti's inaction wasn't just that it was wrong. But that she was setting an example. Yes, sir. Right. Yes, sir. Oh, yes. It rises and it falls upon the leaders of the family. He'll rise and fall upon the inaction or action of the man. He'll rise and he'll fall on the action or the inaction of the woman. Amen. You know what he was saying? This isn't just affecting people outside my family, but if we have any daughters as a result of our relationship, you're teaching by example. You're teaching by your action what you're doing, what you're not doing. And so we gotta correct this right now. He got himself another queen. I'm not endorsing, I'm not saying anything about that, okay. <laughs> but I'm just saying it underscores in that day the severity of a bad example to the kingdom. Proverbs 14:26, the Bible says, the writer Solomon, he says, in the fear of the Lord is strong confidence and his children shall have a place of refuge. There's a paradox there in that first phrase. Fear is confidence. Fear is confidence. It seems to be a paradox. But that's the way things operate in God's economy. The fear of the Lord is strong confidence, amen, and he says having fear in the Lord, we're not talking about cowering behind your pew because you're in the presence of God and you come in biting your fingernails because you're nervous and anxious that you're in the presence of God but we're talking about a a reverence we're talking about honor we're talking about a respect for the presence of the Lord, he says listen here mama, listen here daddy when you have a reverence for God and you have a reverence for God's words and you have a reverence for what God desires and what God wants, he says, this is what's gonna happen. Your children will have a place of ref. Your children will have a place of refuge when you reverence the Lord. What he's saying is there'll be hope for your kids when you get this God-oriented family stuff right in your home and in your family. The Bible says three times in Psalms 46, the writer is writing three times. He says and refers to the Lord. Our God is our refuge. Our God is our refuge, or the Lord is our refuge. Three times in Psalms 46, and then we read here in Proverbs 14:26 that if you have a God-fearing man or a God-fearing woman, he said, listen, you don't have to worry about your kids because that God that's your refuge, that God that's your strength, will be their strength and be. Be their refuge, it be their protection When'd you get this God-oriented family thing down? So it's amen. Genesis 6 and verse 18. This is the Lord speaking unto Noah. He says, "But with thee, Noah, will I establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark." Thou, everybody say thou, and thy sons, and thy wife, and thy wife, wa- and thy sons' wives, with thee. He said, "I'll make a covenant with you, Noah." But who's coming in the ark? Is you and your wife and your sons and their wives. They're all coming in the ark. You know what God was doing just in that little verse right there. God was promising to keep Noah and his family safe in the ark. The promise is not solely just to Noah as an individual. The promise was to his family. We're not talking about an individual promise here. We're talking about a family promise here. The scripture doesn't denote God's not even considering the idea of Noah being the only one on the ark without his family. He doesn't make no provision in scripture for that. He didn't say, Noah, you get on the ark and if they want to, they, no, no, no. He says, Noah, you, your wife, your kids, and their wives, they're gonna get on the ark. I'm not making no other provision likewise. This is a promise for the family. Someone say amen. This is a promise for the family. Hallelujah. Noah, this isn't a promise for you absent your family. This is not a promise for you without your wife on the ark. This is not a promise for you without your kids in the boat. This is a promise for you, your wife, and your kids, and their wives. Here's a promise for all of you. It's null and void unless your family's a part of it. I said it's null and void unless your family is a part of it. says no i'm going to keep you all safe in the ship hallelujah safe in the ship neither did he put enough leverage in the promise or enough elasticity in the promise so that it was so broad that they could be safe Uh on the outside of the ark no that's no provision was made there for safety outside the ark He said, no, the family will be safe when you all get inside the ark because God had ordered the ark to be built and gave it a purpose in its existence. Hmm whenever he had the animals come on the ark the male and female pairs of some animals the seven numbered the seven numbered of other animals that were going to be used in sacrifice clean animals that came on the ark along with the eight souls of Noah's family that boarded the ark we understand very clearly then that its purpose was evident the ark was to be a means to safeguard A remnant in order to have a new beginning. God says there's wickedness all around. I'm going to take care of all that. But through your family and your children, your compensation. Whenever the waters recede and we climb off this boat I'm telling you right now what I need for a remnant in order for this thing to work is not a individual of the human species what I need for a remnant to make this thing work with a new beginning I need a family He said, I need a remnant, and the remnant that I need is a family. No, if you got on there and got off of there, we would not be able to go any further than that. No, I need a family. I need some people in order to get this thing started again, in order to propagate my God orientation upon the earth again. I need a God-oriented family. Because in Genesis 6, before that whole episode ever took place, the Bible has a very peculiar set in passage of Scripture. People really went in left and right field talking about the Scripture in Genesis 6. The Bible says how they witnessed that the sons of men saw the daughters of God. Or or that that the sons, let me just read it. How the sons of God Verse number six, it speaks about, in verse number two, Genesis 6-2, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wise of all which they chose. There have been, man, there have been some way out there stuff concerning this. People talk about how seemingly maybe angels came down, had relationships with men, and they gave birth to babies. But if you'll remember from this morning, The Cain and Abel lines, Seth even included in this matter, that the line of Cain denoted probably more clearly than anything, those sons or those kids or children of men because of their bend toward the wickedness, the vile, and the evil. Through Abel, you had one that was more properly illustrated as a son of God keeping his offering respectable before the Lord, but his life was cut short. But God gave compensation through Seth that there could still be some sons of God. And so what's happening here is some sons of God, some even of Seth's generation, is intermingling with the daughters of men. We have the righteous and the unrighteous. We have unequally yoked stuff happening back in Genesis 6. That's the reason why Paul in 1 Corinthians could stand up and start talking about come out from among them because this had been around for a long time. That out of this joining there were men of renown there were people that were hard to deal with and the Bible says the wickedness started to pervade over the, all, all the earth. Wickedness of mankind was here and there and with this backdrop and setting of wickedness and, and upheaval and evil God still had yeah. a God oriented yeah. family. The Bible says that God spoke to Noah in Genesis 7 and 1 and the Bible says and the Lord said unto Noah come thou and all the house and to the ark for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. God says I look to the right wickedness vile. I look to the left it's nothing but it's just nothing but just ah, it is totally detestable in my sight and my eyes but snuggled right down in the middle of this backdrop of mayhem things that are totally against God he says there's a family. There's a family that stands out among all the rest. A family I can entrust my covenant with. A family I can entrust my covenant with. A family that I want on the ark because I've seen your righteousness before me in this generation. Honey, God's still looking for a family today. God's still looking for a family in this hour. As things wax worse and worse and people are compromising beliefs and standards and where their foot are standing concerning the church, God is still looking around as it was in the days of Noah. So shall it be in the coming of man. He's going to be looking for another God-oriented family that says, come what may or go, we're going to remain righteous. We're going to pass down the glory. We're going to remain we're going to be a people he can entrust his covenant with a family and then so through the three boys of Noah God's trying to compensate for all of the continual evilness in the heart of man that was prior to the flood the Bible plainly tells us then in Genesis 9, 19 explains to us that then he was trying to really compensate here because from the three sons of Noah the Bible says all the nations of the earth would come He didn't contribute the expanse of humanity to a man. He associated it with a family. God-oriented family. The psalmist is saying in Psalms 102. In verse 27, the writer is writing and says, but bow, speaking to God in a prayer. But bow, God, art the same. But years have no wind. The children of thy servants, so the writer's including his own children, even, of all of your servants, but I'm a servant of yours, so even my children. The children of thy servants shall continue, and their seed shall be established before thee. you got to understand the context of Psalms 102. We're hearing from a writer here that if you read the whole chapter, it seems to be someone that either is or at least feels that he is approaching death. Matter of fact, as he writes, he seems to be writing from the viewpoint that he's dying an early death, the Bible explains to us. It's as though he's in the middle of his years, in the middle of his life, and he's troubled because according to his opinion, God, I'm really being taken too soon from the earth. I still got a lot of life in me, but it seems like death is right now upon me and I'm being taken too soon from this earth and with all of this in mind of his, his pending doom his pending death he, he, he has to be he knows he must be very purposeful about future generations right. 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 he's set in a scenario that death is pending and so he says I gotta be serious about what I'm passing on let me just explain today. The seriousness about what you're doing for your kids and grandkids. Don't need to start at your deathbed. Right. Don't be reactive. Be proactive. Start now. Do it before affliction takes your body. Do it before old age comes upon you. Lay your hands on an important transfer something before the moment of your departure. Be attentive. He says, I'm, I'm in the middle of my life. Death is coming upon me. i got to be purposeful about future generations. i got to make sure that they know the Lord. i got to make sure that they know the Lord. i got to make sure that they're praising God. And I'm going to be able to leave this life praising God. And I'm going to be able to leave this life feeling all right. Although I may die, I'm going to be all right. Though I may die. This is the reason why I'm going to be all right. Because God doesn't die. I'm going to be all right even if I die because God doesn't die. And the family, my family, my generations are going to continue on after I die. But here's the great thing. If I as a father or I as a mother have instilled in my children the importance of a God-oriented family, he can establish my kids though I'm cold in the grave. He can establish my kids though I may be absent from the earth because I've garnered in their life a trust in God. A God-oriented family can go far beyond the mother and father of the family. Continue long after their body is in the earth because if it's God-oriented, the God you've entrusted to them never ends in his life. Generation after generation, the God-oriented family can be preserved by his protection because they were God-orientated. Everybody doing okay? I started this late. That's okay. Psalm 78, the writer. I want you to consider this. Don't let it start. In your, don't let it stop in your generation. If anything, let it start there, but don't let it stop there. The Bible says in Psalm 78 and verse four, the writer is saying, "We will not hide them from their children, shewing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord." And his strength and his wonderful works. Everybody say works. That he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel. Which he commanded our fathers. That they should make them known to their children. That the generation to come might know them. Even the children which should be. Even the children that should be born. Not the children that are born but the children that should be born. Let me pause here for a moment. The only way life happens, folks, life happens, there's no guarantee that I'll ever see my grandkids. No guarantee. And for sure no guarantee I'd see their kids. No guarantee. The only way that I can any way even influence that their kids will know if I make sure my kids know. He said, I'm telling it to my children and I'm telling it for the kids that shall be. You know, there's been a lot of stories and families that stopped and died because somebody stopped telling the stories. They don't know the stories of great, great and great, great because somebody stopped passing it down to their children so that they could rehearse it in the ears of their children. And if it's not passed on, the children that are yet to born will never know their (laughs) stories. Honey, concerning the apostolic faith and doctrine and where we are today, if you want your grandkids and their kids to know it, you gotta tell your children. says I'm telling it, who should arise verse 6, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they may set their hope in God and not forget everybody, say the works but keep his commandments what the writer is saying the writer is saying we got some really good stories walk, walk with me just here a little bit so we got some really good stories we could tell our kids and they can tell their kids and so on and so forth, with an alluding if you will we got some really good miracle stories we got some really good how God provided stories that we can pass down but what I want you to know in those verses of scripture if you read them he's not speaking though just about the works of God he's also talking about the laws of God As a matter of fact, David in those short verses of Scripture seems to be connecting the miraculous with the abiding by the law. He's saying God has pronounced blessings on obedience and God pronounces blessings upon faithfulness. And here's what David was trying to portray. He says I don't want just to give the next generation all the stories of the miracles and the provision of God and them not have it and be frustrated because they were not told what was the seedbed for those miracles and the seedbed for those for that provision. That all of that's found in being obedient to his commandments. In other words, I don't want to pass them on a story about everything that God will do for you without them knowing what God is asking them to do for him. We can become prosperity preachers like a bunch of people in the world today in our own family. Some churches you go to, all you're going to hear is how God's going to bless them, wealth, and all this other stuff. He's going to do great things for them, hallelujah, amen. But nobody ever talks about then what God is asking. You can become a prosperity preacher in your own family and tell your kids how God's just always going to look after you. He's always going to come through right in the nick of time. He's always going to be there, and you never pass on where that's all birthed from, and that's from keeping his commandments. So then you have a generation that's rising up and they're a little frustrated because it don't always happen like they said it would happen and I I just don't know and they lose hope and they're without but they miss the part of passing on the law. Share the stories of the healings, do it. Share the stories of his presence, do it. But please don't disservice the generations to come by omitting our obligation to faithfulness. because he said then in verse number 8 of Psalm 78, he says, and might not be as their fathers. Look, let me start with verse 7 again. That they might set their hope in God, not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And might not be as their fathers. A stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. Why? All they had was he gave his man in the wilderness. He had his water come out of a rock. But the Bible says there was another generation that come that knew not God. They knew the stories of the miracles, but they didn't know the law. God-oriented family, the miraculous and the obedience to commands go just like this. Hand in hand for a God-oriented family, a God-oriented family. Again, Moses, he tells the people he tells the people that he's recounting one against in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the book of remembrance and so he's recounting again. He has done this before, but he's reiterating this, telling the people what they must do and what they must not do. The do and the don't list. What's pleasing this pleasing the God list. He's telling them the do's and the don'ts of Deuteronomy 12 what they shouldn't do and what they should not do when they enter the land of promise he says in verse 12 of Deuteronomy 12 and ye shall rejoice listen this is what he's telling these families he said ye shall rejoice before the Lord your God ye and your sons and your daughters and your men servants and your maidservants and the Levite that is within your gates for as much as he hath no part nor inheritance with you. But he says, you should rejoice before the Lord with your family. You should rejoice before the Lord with your family. And so what he's telling them is this. He's given all the prescription of what they should do. Offerings should be bring, sacrifices made. And so he's emphasizing, telling them, while you're taking your offerings and your sacrifices that God has prescribed to the prescribed place that God has ordained, So says, as you're taking them, he says, rejoice with mama and the kids while you're doing it. Rejoice with mom and the kids while you're doing it. In other words, he said, don't, don't, by no means don't go to God's house empty-handed, but don't begrudge what you're taking either. By whenever you get there, you don't rejoice about what you're offering. All right, come here, honey. Trevor, come here, son. Come here. You got some junk over here. Thank you. I appreciate it. And use that. Man. Praise God. Here we are. Come on, son. I've seen you run faster to the refrigerator to get the one thing you like. He says, You got offerings you're going to bring. You know, there's a lot can either ruin or amplify the offering by the manner in which you bring it. you got an offering to bring you can come if you want to and gather up and say this is what God's really requiring of us you know this is really quite a void it's going to leave in the family come on this is what God wants here you go God go sit down kids I'm taking my offering to the Lord this is heavy there you go God see you next week But a God-oriented family does it like this. Come on, kids. Come on now. God-oriented family says it like this. (laughs) God would like to have some of what we have. It brings great pleasure for God whenever we bring things like this to him. As a matter of fact, I want you to carry part of it. I want you to have part of it. Now, here's what we're gonna do. When we get there, we're gonna smile. When we get there, we're gonna clap. When we get there, we're gonna be happy about what we're... He said a God-oriented family. Don't just bring the offering. Don't just bring the sacrifice, but they incorporate the kids. And by all means, when you get there, rejoice about what you're doing. Rejoice about bringing that offering. A God." I hope my kids will grow up, say every time dad had to write the the, the, the ties check, he cried on the table and talked about how they could really use that money for something else. No, I wanna tell them, I tell you what, God wants this, he's gonna bless it, It's gonna return back to us in some fashion. I want them, somebody hear this preacher! I tell you why I grab my kids sometimes when I'm down here dancing and shouting, I want my family to rejoice. I want my family to rejoice. I don't want to do it by myself. I want it to be a God-oriented family. I would tell you give that back to them, but that belongs to God now I'm sorry. Give it back to him. I don't do a lot of practice like this, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to brag one on my kids and there's other times we will probably talk against them but listen right here there's a spirit of pride comes upon y'all I'll knock it out of you before the end of the week I think it was birthday I think it was might have been birthday I think it was back that part birthday money that came to Mariah cards gift cards teach your kids at that. we tell them to pay their tithes where do they get if it's a gift it don't matter it's increase. pay your tithes Gift cards, where the amount is on the gift card, you pay tithes off of it. It's an increase. You want to, you want to, you want to liquidate that into cash? It'd been cash rather than plastic. So pay your tithes off it. She paid her tithes. Did it. That's great. That's wonderful. She gets a little thing at the end of the year. Trevor does too. He does the same thing. Get a little thing at the end of the year. Say how much money they gave to the Lord. I want them to feel good about that. I don't want them to think, oh man, here we go. I give God what's his. I want a God-Orient family It was weeks after she gave that She came, she wanted an offering She was going to give an offering Try to keep that money under the lock and key Because sometimes it burn a, pocket, a hole in the pockets of kids Want some money, want to give an offering What do you want, right? What do you want to give an offering? Well, I was thinking about giving a $5 bill an offering ever have stock churches across America, oneness churches, and you're wanting to give a $5 bill? I'm not saying this is her mom and I, but I hope we had just a little bit of something to do with it. But this is what I'm thinking right now is she was willing to not go for a one or a dime or a penny or anything else that was in there. She said, I'm going to give five. Why? Because it wasn't a drudgery to offer to God and rejoice while she was doing it. She didn't... Nobody told her she had to do that, his free will. What are you saying, a God-oriented family, a God-oriented family says, God, what do you want? That's what I'll give. What do you impress upon my spirit? That's what I'll give, God. And I'm not just gonna do it by myself. I'm gonna come rejoicing. I'm gonna come shouting. I'm gonna come lifting you up and my whole family's gonna be a part of it. Because if mom and dad had the animal at the house and it was supposed to be without defect, but they seen something and said, let's allow the hair to grow out a little longer on the lamb, maybe they won't catch the defect. And that was the mentality. Their kids would grow up someday. And say let's just see what we can get by with. Yeah. Right. Right. Yes, sir. <laughs> let's see what we can. When I was a kid, I seen it during those months around this time of year when my father was unemployed and we drove from Princeton to Owensville. We not missed one service. We had cantatas of the Christmas time of year. We were without work. Dad was unemployed but he ran the sound for the cantata. We did not miss one practice and he wasn't in the molly grubs about it and mom wasn't wringing her hands about what was gonna happen. They rejoiced and that caused some glory and rejoicing us kids. It was an honor and a privilege to go to God's house even if it was for a special thing like a cantata with a bunch of practices But we were doing it unto the Lord. That puts something in my spirit as a parent. It wasn't this stuff. Although today it'd be the greatest valid excuse, I'm unemployed. I can't run the sound for your cantata. Because I hear less excuses than that here. And you live in town. God-oriented family says, kids, we're gonna rejoice. Wife, we're gonna rejoice. Not just because this is right to do, but this is honorable. This is what we need to do. (laughs) here's the way God wants it God wants you to fall so much in love with a God oriented way of a family that if it was any way different or void that your life would feel empty without it Job 16 and verse 7. Now this is speaking about a very literal family. Job raised every morning. He offered up sacrifices for her kids. Pre-adventure they have sinned. The Bible says in part of the calamity of Job, part of his calamity was this. He said, but now he hath made me weary, speaking of God. Thou hast made desolate all my company. You know what Job's saying? Job is saying, Job is at the point he feels it doesn't matter what he says because God had taken away His family. He said, man, I might have been able to muster up some strength if I had the company. If I had my family remain a part of my life. But everything just seems very futile and unimportant without my company. More importantly, without my God-ordained or orientated family. He said, there's a real sense of loss. There's a real sense of unavoidable emptiness." emptiness because I'm void of my God sons and daughters were taken he's just left with his wife and even he has become strange to her the Bible says And so folks if we are the family that God would have us to be we need to protect its godliness everybody doing okay Bible says in Genesis 13 and 8. And Abram said unto Lot, <clears throat> Abram was Lot's uncle. Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, between my herdmen and thy herdmen. Why, Abram? For we be brethren. Abram was telling part of his family, he said, Bubba, this fighting between our men, this fighting between me and you, it's got to stop. Abram saying, Bubba, he said, we, we cannot afford for there to be a rift developed between you and I. Because we're family. We need to be able to provide and present a unified front. We're a family. See both Abram and Lot after their time in Egypt had come from there and both of them had grown very much with their herds and their livestock and the land and the pastures were not capable of sustaining both of their families and both of the livestock that they had and had possessed. And as a result... Fights broke out between Lot's herdsmen and Abraham's herdsmen, and even between Abram and Lot because there wasn't enough enough, enough enough pastures for their animals to graze in. And so what happened was there was some civil unrest that was among the family. And Abram just called it like it was. This should not be. Because number one, we're family, we're brethren. Watch me now, but more importantly, we're a God-oriented family. He said, Lot, God's called you and me away from our old life of Daddy Tara, who was a pagan. He called us away from that old life of being a pagan, and right now we're traveling through a land of pagans. And they should be able to denote something different in our family than what they find in their own family. And so what are they gonna think when they see God-oriented families all the time fussing, all the time fighting, all the time... Don't get me wrong. I understand we all have a little fight and a little problem here and there, but when you have a lifestyle of fighting and a lifestyle of trouble and a lifestyle of heartache, honey, there's something going wrong with a God-oriented family. He says it shouldn't be like the family of the pagans. We're a God-oriented family. There should be a distinct difference in the way that our family operates and their family operates. We need not be at odds with one another because we're a family and we're a God-oriented family. Why? Because Lot, we're representing something bigger than ourselves. <laughs> the glory that you and I have, we're passing down to our kids, came from God. Woo! So we're illustrating the character of the true God through our family. And how we deal with controversy in the context of our family is determining whether or not we're doing this a good job for God. See, Abram have just received the blessing of God for his family in Genesis twelve. I've spoke spoke of it several times. It seems like in the past few weeks, how God told Abraham and his descendants how He would bless those that He blessed, curse those who He would curse, and in Abraham, all the families compensation, all the families of the earth would be blessed. And right now, Abram saying, Lot, we got problems. We're fussing, we're frustrated at each other, we're at each other's throats all the time. We got all this animosity in the family. This seems to be indicating something quite different than what God's blessed us with. The answer for them in the scripture is that one chose one area, one chose the other. They separated, if you will, from one another. But here's the thing, though, the family had to separate from each other in order to promote peace. They did not isolate themselves from one another. It should not be the case in God-oriented families that in order for there to be peace in the family, you've got to isolate rather than separate. Because the fact is, whenever his old nephew Lot later got in trouble in Sodom and Gomorrah, and there was wars against them, in Lot, and his family was taken, you know who came to the rescue? Abraham delivered Lot and the others out of the clutches and restored them back to their dwelling. Why? He says, because I choose to be a God-oriented family. We might have our ups and downs, but I'm not going to let that be the tenure of our family. And so with that being said, a God-oriented family should not, should not be marked with a constant mark of unrest and arguments. Now, someone leave here tonight and say, Brother McGee told us that if we're really in touch with God, we'll never have an argument. Baloney. Well, hopefully you'll not let the sun go down on your wrath. I'm closing. Stay seated, though. David... as a young man in the pastures of his father tending sheep we understand by scripture that there came a time that a lion came to overtake some of the flock but David through the means that he had took care of the lion and that a bear on another occasion came tried to do damage against the flock but he overcame the bear these were Two problems and two situations that by and large from what we can relate from scripture by all means was was private. Private. He did that. Didn't necessarily say there was an audience there. Hooten go, David, go, David. Get that lion, get that bear. Private. Whenever the armies of Israel are out later against the armies of the Philistines, and their champion arises to defy the armies of the Lord and Goliath is there as a formidable foe for Israel and David shows up on the day that his father tells him go check on your brethren David comes on the scene he asks who is this uncircumcised Philistine what's everybody if nobody else go go I'll go and some of his brothers Eliab and some of the others are scratching his head David, we know the naughtiness of your heart. We know what's going on. How in the world do you think you're going to whip this guy, Goliath? He even goes in before Saul, and he begins then to tell Saul the story. Eliab and his brethren are scratching their head because David had won some battles in private that they weren't privy to. They didn't know about. Uh, so whenever he comes in before Goliath, he starts to recount to Saul. He said, on one occasion, a bear came. Goliath will say, well, this is the first I've ever heard of. It. On an occasion, a lion came. You never told us this before. Well, because, folks, if I can relate this to families, because every episode you have in private, you don't need to make public. Now, hold on. Now, David was able to do what he was about ready to do in public because he had won some battles in private. And upon the stepstone of being successful in private, he was able to operate in public against the adversary. I feel This is not in my notes, but I feel very led to the Holy Ghost. I feel very led to the Holy Ghost, and I just don't throw off say that every day. I feel very led in the Holy Ghost. There's some situations of 2015. Even temperature and thermometer at times of the church, listen to me, is because, listen to me, there's people coming in public trying to help other people's battles in their life that are public when they've not won their own battles in their families in private Come on. Come on oh, yeah. what I'm saying is there is an overall impact for the church publicly because some families are leaving private battles unassessed unassessed And you can't operate in the public battles of the church until you take care of some private battles of the home. You gotta have a family that's God-oriented before you can have a church family that's God-oriented. So as I leave from this place tonight, I implore you, win your private battles in your home so we can win the battle in the church. I'm telling you right now, heaven just touched my lips to speak what I just spoke. Win the battles in your home so we can win the battles in this house. Uh, Stand with me right now. If I can make it any more plain, it's this. When we come in here without winning the private battles in our own home and try to exercise authority for battles in the church, we just make a greater mess of what's already there because we don't have no credentials of what's been achieved in private so that we can operate in public Amen. what does that mean that means for individualized there may be some fathers that need to be introspective yeah. and some mothers that will gauge if you will what type of example they're setting yes, and some parents that need to be questioning themselves are they heralding it to the generation even so that the generation to come might know get the family right It'll help get the church right. on. Get the family God oriented, and they'll start pointing the church more of a direct focus of God orientation. Can we bow our heads across this place right now? Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's F-A-C-M-C. Thank you and have a blessed day.